I want to close today with a series or a sermon about healthy family member, healthy church membership. I want to give you six keys today, six keys to healthy church membership. Everybody ready for that? Y'all ready for something positive? Amen. All right, let's do it today. Uh, we'll begin with uh, 1 Timothy chapter 5, beginning with verse 17 through verse 21. The Apostle Paul is passing the torch to young Timothy, and he's giving him some wisdom about how to pastor a church and how to lead people and some principles to live by. And they are principles that we should all strive to live by. Let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. Do not receive an accusation against an elder or a pastor or staff member, except from two or three witnesses. Those who are sinning rebuke in the presence of all that the rest also may fear. I don't know if that verse would go over in today's church. Uh, I can't even corporately rebuke without hurting someone's feelings. Could you imagine if I called out the folks doing it by name? Uh, ooh. I charge you before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels that you observe these things without prejudice, doing nothing with partiality. In other words, don't treat one member better than another. Don't treat this one better because he has something or this one as less than because he or she struggles with something. In other words, don't be a religious snob with your nose in the air towards everybody nor share in other people's sins. Keep yourself pure. Keep yourself pure. I believe that uh, the universal church spans from coast to coast, continent to continent. But the New Testament wasn't written to the global church. It was written primarily to a local church. And I believe that our greatest hope still lies within the local church. I still believe it's our greatest hope. I believe what Ephesians says, to him be glory in the church. Amen. I believe Jesus loves the church. I believe he died for the church. I believe he's coming back for the church. According to scripture, I still believe we should go to church. We should support our church. We should serve our church. I believe we should be functional as we talked about week one. We have to know who we are in Christ, what our gift is, what part of the body we are, and we move from functionality to faithfulness. We should be faithful to God's church, right? Then we should worship God, not based on our preference, but his presence. When we come to church, it should be about the king. And we should worship for his presence, not because of our preference. And the Lord has taught us not just to focus on style, but spirit and service and humility and honor 
if we're going to see the end time harvest. I want to give you quickly two scenarios for those of you who have raised children or maybe you're a grandparent raising children or a guardian. If you've ever raised children, imagine this. You, you have, let's say, an eight-year-old child and you give the child two scenarios, two options. Option number one, you say, little Johnny, uh, I want you to clean that room. It is a pigsty. The closet is overflowing with clothes. It has funny smells in it. Uh, you can tell I've raised three boys. It's got leftover fast food wrappers in it, mold in cups with Coke that hadn't been drank in months, you know. It stinks, and I want it cleaned today. Option one. Option two, Johnny, I have the most beautiful gift wrap present for you. It is the best present you have ever received you're going to love this present. It's going to bless you. Now, I know this is silly, but which option do you think little Johnny's going to choose? The three-hour deep clean of his hideous bedroom or the gift that his parents have purchased him? Everybody say the gift. Even adults would rather receive a gift than clean their house. Church membership is like our salvation. It is a gift. Everybody say gift. And so we talked about country club member versus family member in week one, where a country club church member says, okay, I've joined. Now, where are my privileges? Where are my perks? Now, what you gonna do for me? But a spiritual family member says, I'm laying down my privileges at the feet of Jesus. What can I do for the church? So if you're asking a country club member or a religious member to serve in an area, they might begrudgingly agree to serve out of guilt. But based on my experience, that won't last very long. A few months at the most, because their mindset is what can the church do for me? But if you ask a family member that believes at their core that their membership to the body of Christ is a gift, then when asked to do something, it will be viewed as an honor, not a burden. And if we're gonna see the church, be the church, be a house of grace, be a place where the end time move of God can occur before Jesus comes back, then we've gotta ask ourselves, are we a family member or are we a religious church member? And I believe I'm looking at family today with all of my heart. But we have to see just like our salvation, our church membership as a gift from God. Now, I pick on Jim Biggs all the time. I do, and it is fun to pick on Jim Biggs. But I I want to talk just a minute, and I want to be very true to my core about him and Teresa. The first time I met them, I think it was 13 or 14 years ago, I asked them to serve a meal. And you would have thought 
that I had asked them if they wanted to win the publisher's clearinghouse or the lottery. They acted like I just handed them a check for $100,000 because I asked them to serve a meal to people. Wednesday, my wife's in her busy season in her career and she travels a lot. So I was Mr. Mom this week. I had a 14-hour day that involved funerals and travel and everything else on Wednesday, finished by Celebrate Recovery. And all, it was just a very busy week for me. You have busy weeks too, I'm not asking for pity there. But it was a busy week and all I wanted to do is get home and eat my peanut butter and jelly sandwich that I eat on Wednesday night and my Pringles and my Diet Coke and go to sleep. Can I get an amen? Well, I got home, walked up the stairs, and it felt like three levels of hell upstairs where all of my children sleep and where my bedroom is. My air conditioner was out. And I was like, oh no. My boys have games, they're gonna cramp up. So I called Mr. Biggs who's probably had a longer day than I had. And this man comes up to my house and fixes it so that my boys could have air conditioning. And that's the kind of stuff he does, not just for me. He's done it for many people on our staff. He, he does it for Ada McDerris. He does it for different senior adults and widows in this church. That's the kind of man he is. And he's gotten to where he'll let me pay him. Thank goodness. But whenever I say, man, you're doing too much, uh, you're doing too much, you're burning out, like you're not resting enough, he said, I'm glad you called me. I'm honored to serve my church. It's an honor when people need my help. And he said that to me that Wednesday night. And it humbled me. And it made me think about why I do this and the night I was called to do this. You know, we all need to up our game in the areas of humility and service to the king, including me. We all need to remember what got us here in the first place. And that was the blood of Jesus and his saving grace that called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. It is a gift to be a member of a church like this. It is a gift to be saved and set free by the blood of the lamb. It is a gift to have the Holy Spirit of the living God that created the heavens and earth that was present in creation, present at Pentecost, come in us and on us for greater works. It is a gift and we need to view our membership as if it is our greatest gift. It says in Ephesians 2, the church epistle, for it is by what grace we've been saved. Not of ourselves. It is the gift of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 27. Now you, everybody say me. You are the body of Christ and members individually. And God has appointed these in the church. Apostles, prophets, teachers. After that, miracles, gifts of healings, helps, administrations, tongues, so many other things. 1 Corinthians 12 is the Beatitudes of church membership. So what are some keys to healthy church membership? I'm gonna run through these pretty quick. Number one, you must be genuinely converted. You say, well, I'm what is, what, converted? 
I, I truly believe there are people in every church in this city today, over 1,200. We are the most church city in America per square foot. That's why we're so consumer-driven, because if we can't get our way, we can just go 20 feet to the next one. And I really believe that many people who go to church religiously that have this false membership mindset aren't saved. Now, I don't judge who's saved and who's not. That's God's job. But it is our job to judge fruit. And I've seen some stinky, smelly fruit over the years. I've seen some people who say they're Christians who are just downright mean to their neighbors, downright ugly to the staff, downright ugly and won't serve and create discord and problems in the church and gossip and, and do things in the name of malice and they're angry all the time. Who would want that? Who would want to be saved if that's the fruit of salvation? Here are some people you've heard of that said that they believed 50% or more of church people aren't saved. Dr. Rod Bell, the former president of the Fundamental Baptist Fellowship of America. Bob Jones said that 50% or more people who attend church every week aren't saved. George Barna said 50% or more you know, the Barner Research Group, he believes 50% or more that attend church every week aren't saved. George Truitt, former president of Southern Baptist Convention, powerful preacher, Bill Bright, R.G. Lee, former pastor of Bellevue Baptist, believe that. 65% or more, Vance Havner said that he believed that 65% of the people who attend church every day aren't saved. 75% or more, W.A. Criswell said that what about 85% or more? Billy Graham said he believed after his years of seeing people saved in crusades that he felt like 85% or more people who attend church weekly aren't even born again. And I'm not saying this to scare you into heaven or scare you to, to repeat a prayer because the fact is I use the sinner's prayer because it's from the book of Romans, but it's not the prayer that'll set you free. It's a change of mind and heart, and it's a willingness to follow Jesus Christ. If anything that we've done as Christian pastors over the years is we've given people this free ticket into heaven, and, it, and we've done it without requiring a life change or a change of mind. And it's not just repeating a prayer after me, friend. To be born again, you have to be transformed from the inside out. You have to pick up your cross, deny yourself, and follow after him. That is what salvation is. It is to be reborn. So I believe that people ought to be saved. And if you're listening to this today and you say, Pastor Ronnie, I don't know if I'm going to heaven or if I'm going to hell. I haven't been living right. I've never really changed my mind or my heart. I just want to give you an opportunity right now. John 3, 16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And all you have to do is confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus in Romans, believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, and you will be saved. So if you don't know Jesus Christ, just pray this prayer with me. Help me, Abba's house. Say, Dear Lord Jesus, Lord, forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart and save me. Fill me with your spirit and use me for your glory. Now that prayer again is a guide. 
and an affirmation of what God is already doing on the inside. Your next step is to confess it publicly, tell a pastor, connect with a local body, be baptized, get in the Bible, get around like-minded believers so that you'll grow in your walk with Christ. Number two, second key to healthy church membership is to be a learner and a listener. My wife, she's got her notebook down here today. And since I first started preaching in the late 90s, I have 30 notebooks of my dad's messages, mine. She writes down my points. She writes down the scriptures. She's a note taker. Part of it's maybe because I'm boring and she needs it to remember. I don't know, but she takes notes. She's got notes from Perry Stone. She's got notes from Governor Huckabee. She's got notes from John Hagee when he's been here. She's got notes from some of the greatest pastors, Bishop Bronner, both me and my dad. She's taking notes today. Why? Because if you do not come here to listen and to learn and you're not in the word with me, then I'm nothing more than a comedian or some kind of entertainer up here. And I need you, whether it's on your phone and you're doing it on your notepad, you need to be learning the word of God for yourself. Don't take my word for everything. Get in the word of God yourself. Get in that Hebrew and Greek. With the internet, you can get in the word. I, I tell you, one of my biggest burdens is, man, these children today, they don't even know the Bible stories. They don't know the difference between Noah and Moses. They don't know the Bible. And we've got to teach this rising generation the scriptures or the world and the demonic culture will be able to twist them up on the inside and out. They'll think they're doing a good work when they're doing the work of the devil. If they don't know the word of God, Show up when you come to church to receive from the Spirit of God and the Word of God. Can I get an amen? amen. It, it, you show up to receive a word from God. You don't show up to observe. You know, don't show up to observe the message. Show up to receive from the message. Don't show up to observe the worship. As how good it is and don't go home with, well, Dana missed this cue or Pastor Ronnie said this verse out of context. No, show up to receive Amen. from God. God. Listen, Kelly gets on to me. She's gonna get mad at me for what I'm about to say, but I'm gonna say it anyway. It's my birthday. I can get away with it, all right? <laughs> so I've been preaching now since what? 1998, 20-something years, right? And And... It's funny, you know, I've been pastoring, you know, two churches, all this stuff. And, and for years, I, I would go, when I greet people, do the service, people come up to me and go, boy, you get better and better every week. And I used to say, Kelly, I've been doing this forever. I, I, what in the world? Why can't they just say good message or something? You know, like, if you, if you do something 15 years, and you're not getting better at it. Something's wrong. But, but no, I know people, she, she just say, shut up, Ronnie. People don't know what to say. You embarrass, you intimidate people. Just, just shut up. You know, and she's right. But, but here's the deal. Like, you, if you come with the mindset, I want to receive. What's God saying to me? What's God trying to get out of me or into me? Then you're going to get something out of every message. But if you come in trying to observe something from a religious pedestal, you ain't going to get squat. Show up to receive from the Spirit and the Word. Seek discipline. Oh, here we go. Human beings don't want to seek discipline. Listen, I, I know some of you. I walk with you. I talk with you. I pray with you. And, and I appreciate 
Those of you who, when you've blown it, you, you, you want discipline. You, you, you want to grow and, and you want to get that root out. Praise God. We've got people on staff here help you get to the root of your struggle because most of us don't want to do what we do. There's something that happened to us when we were younger, something that we can't let go of and it causes our behavior to stink or to be demonic. And, and if you seek discipline, you say, hey, I, I, I've blown it here. What in the scriptures, how can we get this root out of me so I can live free and fully alive? And, and a Christian wants to be disciplined because they know what the Bible says, that the father chastens those he loves, that he disciplines those that he loves. A parent that doesn't discipline their child is worse than an infidel. Every now and then, your child needs a spanking. They need punishment. I had a lady get mad one time because my dad preached on spanking back in 2016. This lady's gone completely nuts. We've had to block her from everything, you know. But I'm telling you, we all need discipline. Children and adults, I'm not for abuse of, in any way or of any kind. But the biblical way, you discipline people. It's different for different kids. But by all means, discipline them. Because if you don't, life will. <laughs> if you don't discipline them, life will. Next, seek humility and peace. Hebrews 13, verse 17. Obey those who rule over you and be submissive for they watch out for your souls as those who must give an account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief for that would be unprofitable for you. I'd hate to be known as somebody that gave a pastor hell. I'm serious. I, I've never known church from the outside in. You'll have to forgive me. I, I don't have but one perspective, church from the inside out. So there's things you can tell me and I'll learn from those things because I've never had your perspective. All I know church is inside out. But I can promise you this, after the life I've lived, I've seen some of the godliest people in the world in this church. I could name them. People that have changed my life. I've seen godly people in my grandmother's church in Alabama. I've seen godly people over the years and I can tell you the difference. And every pastor I talk to, whether it's South Carolina, Florida, Kentucky, Las Vegas, I have friends all over the country, big churches and smaller churches. And I'm telling you, every pastor I'm friends with has people that have given them hell. And I can promise you this, I'd rather, I'd rather be known as anything but someone that was a hindrance to the pastor. Anyone. If I was just a church member, I promise. You can ask my boys. I would tell them, my middle one, you say he wanted to be a preacher. And I'd say, no, you don't. You better not ever say that to me again. Because that's what my dad used to tell me. Because if God calls one of my kids, I want it to be God, not me. But I said, I don't want you going into the ministry. You're crazy. Why would you want to do that? You know, because I want to push them away so when they get called, they'll be listening to his voice, not mine. But, but I've told my boys, I said, no, I want y'all all to go up and be successful. And I want y'all to be a blessing to a pastor. I want y'all to come up under your, a pastor at your church, this church, wherever. And I want you to be a blessing to your pastor. I want you to be like some of the people I, I consider heroes in my own life. I could rattle off a list for 30 minutes. Many of you are on it. But I said, I said, boys, I want you to be successful and blessed so you can help a pastor. I'd hate to be known as somebody, man, that just gave, gave the ministry leaders a hard time. Be a learner and a listener. Seek humility and peace. Seek peace. 
Galatians 6 verse 1, if any man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Number three, be honorable. Everybody say honorable. How, how do you honor? How, do you, how, how can you become a person of honor? I believe honor's the currency of heaven. I believe it's a kingdom principle. I believe I'm where I am today because of those I've honored. Be it pastors, leaders in this community, people who have done community service, I always honor my elders. If you watch my life off the stage and on the stage, you will always see me honoring those that have gone before me, even if I don't agree with them on everything. If they've done something I haven't or they've been at something for a long period of time, I walk in honor and God has blessed me for it. He blesses me for it. But it's, I don't do it for the blessing. It is a kingdom principle. The Bible teaches us that we're to be people of honor. How can we honor those above us. Number one, we've got to protect them. Everybody say protect. In this scripture in 1 Timothy chapter 5, we've got to provide for them. Now, I'm not preaching this to get more money, so don't get nervous, okay? Abba's house is very good to me, very good to our staff. There's very few churches in the world that are as generous with their staff as we are. So this doesn't apply to Abbott's house. But let me tell you, I have friends and I have testimonies of pastors and they're burning out, they're depressed, they're quitting every day because they can't make enough to provide for their families. They're dealing with hell all the time. And Abbott's house, I want us to be the kind of place that people come to and they go, God, this is where his glory is. This is where his grace is. Listen, look at how they treat their staff. Look at how they treat the people hurting in the community. We, I want us to be a people of honor. We've got to protect the church. We've got to provide for the church. We've got to pursue intimacy and restoration with our fellow brothers and sisters. Listen, if you have an issue and human beings are going to disagree, amen? Human beings are all different. We're all going to disagree. We all have different ideas. We all have different ways we want to do stuff. Sometimes we blow it. Hey, just admit that you messed up and get face to face with that person and try to come up with a compromise. Pursue peace with that person. Listen to them. Let them speak into your life. And then God will bring restoration to that relationship and the glory will come. Number four, fourth key to healthy church membership, be a progressive disciple. Be a progressive disciple. What does that mean? None of us have arrived. If we have breath in our lungs, we need to be progressively learning more about the word of God and walking in the spirit of God. None of us ever get to a place where we know everything, amen? We need to be progressing in our walk with Christ until the day we die. None of us have ever arrived. The apostle Paul would say, not that I have already attained or been made perfect, but I'm gonna press on. That's what the Christian life is about. It's not fair at times, it's hard, but we press on that we may lay hold of that which Christ Jesus has laid hold of us. That's what the apostle Paul said. What I see in church, again, having that insider's perspective for 42 years is that every now and then you, you walk into good people, godly people even, but they feel like they've arrived and now they have the anointing to tell everybody the areas in Christianity they fall short. And that's not your role as a disciple. You never stop following. We never stop following. We never stop repenting. We never stop crying out for God in the secret place. We never get to a place where we've arrived and we have it all figured out. Some of my heroes in the ministry, such as my dad and, and others that have gone on to heaven, preachers that were 
in the ministry 50, 60 years, I was always amazed that the older they got, they'd say the less they knew. Because the closer they, they get to God and that we get to God, we, we learn so much more about his grace and his mercy and his scriptures because we never stop striving for intimacy with him till the day we die and we're done. Then we have everything we were trying to attain. We're never gonna have it until we're face to face with Jesus. How can we be a progressive disciple? Well, first we must conform to his image. We must submit. In John 15, we must abide in him. We must be the branch, he's the tree. Together we're one. We abide in God. We're one with God. Second Peter chapter three, verse 18 says, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever, amen. So we're to continue to grow. Everybody say grow. Two more. Number five, be a lover of what God loves. Be a lover of what God loves. Be a hater of what God hates. Be a lover of what God loves. Be functional, be generous, be faithful, be an agent of unity. What does God love? Well, he loves to see people born again. So you ought to love sharing your faith. You ought to love the gospel of grace. We can all agree on that, that we love to see people that were lost get found. We love to see dead people get life. We love to see people in bondage get freedom. Amen? Amen. If you don't love that, you're missing the whole thing. Love what he loves. Share the gospel. Share the gospel. We have classes here to help you learn to share the gospel. Love the hurting. Love the widow. Love the orphan. Love the addict. Love the prisoner. Love the hungry. Love those less fortunate than you. I didn't say solve all their problems. You can't and I can't and we can't. But you can love them. You can love them and you can help one. Love the church. Listen, why would... God teach us about marriage through his church. Wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church. He loves the church. Why can't we love the church? Now, I'm not saying we don't need to fight for righteousness and expose hell in church at times and take a righteous stand against things. Lord knows I've done that. But what I'm saying is at the end of the day, we need to love God's church. We need to love the things he loves. We need to love its leaders. You say, well, they're this, this, and this. Well, so are you. They have faults, you have faults, we all have faults. You can love them. How can you love them? By realizing that they're held accountable by God. So their punishment will be double if they've missed it. But you will answer for how you have followed them. So you better make sure they're not following God if you choose not to follow them. Second Corinthians says, oh, oh, you Corinthians, we have spoken openly to you. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted by your own affections. Now, in return for the same, I speak to you as children that you be open. Chapter seven, verse two and three. Open your hearts to us. We have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We have cheated no one. I do not say this to condemn, for I've said before that you are in our hearts to die together and to live together. Isn't that what family is all about? Next, and finally, be prayerful above all. Amen? Amen. Be prayerful 
above all. The early church committed their lives to prayer. If we would be people of prayer, it would solve our flesh issues. It would solve our personality conflicts. It would resolve a number of issues if we would take our issues to the throne room of God. First Thessalonians, speaking of Jesus coming back, it tells us to pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. Romans 12, verse 12 says that we're to rejoice in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer. I don't have time to give you the doctrine of prayer, but I can go through a few principles. First one is supplication. I've taught my Wednesday night group this many times. Supplication is what I call supply and demand. It's the expectation. It's when you expect God to show up and supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. That's where supply, supplication. So when you go to praying to God, you don't go with guilt and doubt. It's a waste of time to pray if you don't believe God's going to do it. Don't pray for somebody to be healed if you really don't believe they're going to be healed. Don't pray for someone to get a promotion if you really don't believe they could be promoted. Don't pray if you don't believe that God can do it. It, it shows a lack of respect and faith. God only responds to faith. Remove guilt from your mind and allow faith to fill your mind, your heart, and your language and watch what God will do. Intercession, praying behalf on, on someone else, praying on someone else's behalf. Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father and he lives to make intercession for us, which means he's praying for us right now. He's praying for those who don't know him right now. He's praying for those who are mocking him on national news right now. He's praying for them. And we're called to pray for those in our lives that are weak, that fall short, that don't have the strength to pray for themselves. We're to be intercessors. Thanksgiving, another principle of prayer. Thank God for what you have, not what you don't have. And if you're jealous of everybody, you'll never receive the peace of God until you can look at your own life and be grateful for what you have. I don't know about you, but I like to see people get blessed. I mean it. My cousin's got two jets. I don't get jealous. I just ask when I get to ride on it again. My dad's brother's got more money than anybody I've ever seen. I'm just trying to get a piece of it every now and then. I'm not jealous of that. When I go on vacation, my cousin takes us on a boat and we're out in the crystal clear water and he buys food for us. He's blessing us. Well, that doesn't work if you're jealous of everybody. I want to see you get blessed. I want you to have more than me. I do. I want people to be blessed. I'm not a hater. Having anger towards everyone receiving success. Don't be that person. It'll hinder your prayer life. Be thankful for what you got. If you're born in the greatest country in the world and you're poor in this country, you're wealthy in the third world. The poorest people on the street in this country would be considered wealthy over there because of the way our government takes care of them. The Bible says that we're to pray in the spirit too. Listen, you can pray words, you can pray scriptures, all those things are powerful, but you need the dunamis power of the Holy Ghost. You need the hero within that can pray through you. When you don't have the strength to pray for yourself, you need the power of the Holy Spirit on your life. We need to pray for our missionaries, for people out in a difficult area doing the work of the ministry. 
We need to pray for our partners and friends in ministry, not just our church and Ronnie Phillips Ministries International, but people around the world, other pastors, other churches. We need to pray for everybody doing the work of the kingdom. Pray for all the saints, it says in Ephesians 6. Pray for those in authority. Yeah, even the people in authority you don't like. Even the president you didn't vote for. Even the senator you didn't vote for. The governor you didn't vote for. You're supposed to pray for them. We posting more than we praying in this culture. And we need to get back to where we're praying for those in authority. We pray for those who are lost. And here's where the rubber meets the road. Luke chapter 6, verse 28. We, about it. we got to pray for those who've hurt us. Why do we have to go here? We got to pray for those who've hurt us, who've used us, who've abandoned us. God says, listen, if I can give you grace, you've got to have enough grace on you to pray for them. So we've got to learn to pray for the people that have hurt us. Listen, Pastor Ronnie, have you perfected this? Absolutely not. I still got a little fight in me, okay? But I'm getting better at it through the power of the Holy Spirit. And here's, when I have been successful in this, here's, here's how it's happened. Not because of me, because of the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit that he wrote in on the inside of me causes me to pray for those who've hurt me you can do it through the power of the Holy Spirit I believe with all of my heart that I'm looking at family members this Labor Day I want you to know I treasure you I treasure this church I treasure its 72 year history I'm not stuck in the past and never will be I'm moving forward with the vision God's given me but I want you to know I treasure you I treasure this place. I treasure your families. I treasure the anointing of God on this place and the presence we experience here. And I love you with all of my heart. It's my greatest joy to pastor this church. It was my childhood dream and I'm living my dream. And you're a big part of that. And I appreciate you from the bottom of my heart. I appreciate you loving me when I don't get it right. I appreciate you loving me when I do get it right. I appreciate you praying for me and respecting me and honoring me and helping me win people to Jesus Christ. We are a team. We are a family. I treasure you. I won't get it all right, but I'll promise you this. I'll love you like nobody else will if you'll let me love you. Amen? Would you stand on your feet with me today and let's, let's read our pledge together. I've preached too long. But I want us all to read this together. I will read the first part with you and then you don't have to read the whole paragraph because I know that'll get choppy, but if you'll read the second part in your heart, I don't want you to bring these down today. I want you to sign them and take them home with you because this is the best pledge of all of them. I want you to put this on your fridge or take a picture of it with your phone so you'll have it to remind you of this pledge. One two, and three. I will treasure my church family. I will treat my membership to this church as a gift, just like my salvation. I will lead my family to love God's church as well. We will pray for our church and worship in our church. We will seek to listen and to learn, and we will ask Christ to help us fall deeper in love with his church because he gave himself for her. Amen. Amen.